All right, everyone. Welcome in to Post Loons. Uh, I am your host for this evening. Um, I will also, it's looking like we're, I'm going to be the only one on the stream tonight. Uh, my co-host Dom was, uh, was at the game and was having some issues getting back. So y'all are stuck with with just me. But the good news is that we we get to talk about a, a lopsided win for Minnesota United, which um, I don't think I've, I've gotten to do on one of these post loons before. So I promise it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a good time. Uh, if you were uh, if you were at the game, you you surely enjoyed a good time yourself, um, and and even if you're watching from home. So we've got a, we've got a lot to talk about here. Um, four goals scored by Minnesota United for the first time since uh, about a year ago when they scored four goals against the Portland Timbers. Um, so we can uh, we can now expect to see goals when the Loons play the Timbers. So again, this is a this is sort of soccer's post Loons. Your traditional live post-game show after Minnesota United games. If you have comments, questions, thoughts, please feel free to send them along. I'll have plenty of time to get to them. Um, it's looking like the, the YouTube stream is the best way to go for those. I see a few folks are already in there, and we will get to those shortly. Um, you might not be seeing us on, on Twitter at all today. Uh, so we uh, we, we hope you were, you were able to find us, whether you're, you're listening live or listening in a time that is that is not Saturday night. So again, Minnesota United defeating the Timbers 4-1 to here. First time scoring that many goals since last time at home against the Timbers, which was at the end of last July. This was this was just a, a really incredible result for the Loons, and, and it, it wasn't a, the most straightforward game. If, if you look through that first half there, um, it, it was it was touch and go. It was it was physical. There were a lot of fouls. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk yellow cards and talk the officiating a little bit here. Um, but but so not not the most straightforward game there. And yet and yet Minnesota United found a way to secure control of the game. Really really dominate the the last half hour or so in that second half. You know I, I think I, I probably wasn't the only person who was sweating a little bit when the Timbers scored that first goal and, and went from being two zero to two one. You know you hear that it's the most dangerous lead in. Hockey, soccer, hockey, whatever goal-scoring sport you want it to be, right? Um, that that two-zero is is the most dangerous lead, and when the game becomes two-one, it does become a little scary. And then, and then you've just got some some moments of magic on the other end there to to ice this game and put it away. So uh, as we always do on post loons here, we've got a few quick topics we want to get to first, and then we will take all of your questions. Um, the first thing that that really struck me as I was watching this game uh, was was obviously the performance from Bongi Longwane. And and again, that's that's not a particularly hot take to say, uh, but what really stood out for me about Bongi's game tonight was his playmaking. Um, you look at you look at the the goal that he or the assist he had that he sends a, a low cross across the box to Ray, who's who's parked perfectly at the far post, really for a tap in there. Um, Bongi's playmaking just stood out um, to me tonight in in a really incredible fashion. I think. He what what really struck me too, and, and this is sort of a contrast to some of the other players in Minnesota United's attack, and it's not something that they necessarily do wrong, it's just something that Bonky does really, really well. His head is up and his vision is up, and he knows situationally what's going on uh, all all around him in the box, whether it's a, a longer possession sequence, right, where the team is is in the box trying to break things down, trying to find a chance. Or it's him, you know, sprinting past Diego Chara on a breakaway, right? He just, he has his head up. He knows where his players are. And that was really key, getting that assist with Ray, that he's down along the end line. He looks up, sees where Ray is, 
is able to place that pass perfectly so that the keeper can get to it. It's not going to be deflected by a center back or anything, and boom, it's a tap-in, probably the easiest goal Emmanuel Reynoso is ever going to score, right? And and so Ray's playmaking is really what I th- – or Bongi's playmaking, excuse me, is, is really what I think put this game – away tonight that, that sealed the deal iced it you know whatever whatever you want to call it i think bongi's playmaking was was really a, a key success point there and and that wasn't something that was there as much in the first half for minnesota united um the in in the attack it just it just seemed disjointed which is something that i think we we talk a lot about on these streams right of you know i can think of of many games where uh, we're with Jeremy or Jacob or Dom or, or whoever I've sat here and debated how do, how do, how does somebody fix Minnesota United's attack right and and tonight I think it was actually a pretty simple thing it was it was looking to play make um, and and that was something that Mender Garcia struggled with a little bit in that first half there there were there was two sequences that that really stand out to me where uh, he was in a, a one-on-one situation with a defender at the top of the box and he had he had Songbin uh, in an interior capacity you know towards the middle of the box one pass away, right? Um, one pass away, a pass that would pretty inevitably lead to a shot, goal or not, who are we to speculate, right? But but would lead to a, a shot there. And that he he didn't take those passes, that he he took a shot that was a contested shot and went into the shin guards of the defender on him. And then, you know, it, a, a whole attacking sequence just kind of poof, goes away. And But that, that changed in the second half. And a couple things happened there. Um, one was just maybe some confidence from this team, right? Once you've scored three goals, you know, why not go score a fourth? Um, Bongi keeping his head up there and getting some more touches, I think, helped as well. And, and actually getting getting Kervin Ariaga in the game um, and taking Mender out, I think, also put a little bit more emphasis on the passing. But this attack really, really thrived when the that front four, front three, you know, when those attacking players were passing the ball to each other around the box, which, again, it sounds like an extraordinarily simple thing to do. Um, now, the, that's the hardest area of the field to complete passes, right? Um, but it, it really does. It really does make a difference when a team is doing that. And, and that showed that showed here tonight, I think, with some of those opportunities, uh, which also leads me to, to the third point I want to bring up here, which is that chaos creates chances. And this is something that that we have talked about before, that the, the goal of an attacking team in soccer has to be to dis, to disorganize the opponent in these passes do that. Um, you know, you, you look at some of these these counterattacks, these breakaways. Uh, Minnesota United led in possession tonight, but this wasn't a game that that really felt like they outpossessed the Timbers, right? It didn't feel like it was you know lopsided that the Timbers had seventy percent possession or something like that. But uh, to to me, I was a little actually surprised to see United's number at I think it was about fifty six percent to see it that high, because they had so many chances that were from these up-tempo kind of quick pace opportunities, some of which were direct counterattacks, right? You think Bonke charging down the field and just out-sprinting Chara, right? That's, you know, that's a, an opportunity that came directly, that, that was at its core a counterattack. But just low passes across the box, these these crosses that were actually being completed, finding guys that forced defenders to pivot their hips, uh, that, that forced a goalkeeper to, you know, be diving the opposite direction of what he thought he was going to have to dive. All those things just create chaos for a defense. And, and that's always going to be a good thing uh, with when this, when defenders are, are scrambling there. That's, that's always going to be a, a good situation. And again, that's part of what helped ice the game here for Minnesota United. I really, I really do think so. Um, so again, a, an incredibly successful attacking performance, uh, especially when you consider that Timu Puki is, is sitting there 
on the horizon, a finished sunrise, I think we could call him in, in that sense, are ready to, to join this team in the coming weeks. And, and the obvious assumption is that that's going to only boost the attack by giving this team, as Adrian Heath would put it, give this team the first proper number nine it's had since Christian Ramirez was wearing the black and blue, which was really gray and blue uh, when he was playing for the Loons. So before we get to all of your comments, and I love to see that there are a lot coming in, I promise we will get to all of them. Uh, we want to share a quick ad message from our friends at Better Edge who are sponsoring today's post loons. So the folks at Better Edge are bringing us a, a website that can be used to make bets with friends. The days of using cash or Venmo for one-to-one -one bets are over. Better Edge, a Minneapolis-based company, has revolutionized the social sports betting scene, allowing their users to bet with or against each other on NBA, NHL, MLB, and soccer competitions like the Premier League, Champions League, and of course, Major League Soccer. They also offer weekly pick'em competitions as well, like our very own MLS Pick'em, where you can bet real money or edge coin, which is play money, and make your picks for the weekend's games. Better Edge is not a sports book that profits off of your loss. You don't bet against Better Edge, you bet against other users on the platform, which is why it's legal to use in Minnesota and 46 other states nationwide. Sign up today and get a free $20 in your account when you visit betteredge.com backslash loons and create your account. Again, use betteredge.com slash loons to sign up and get $20 in your account today, courtesy of our friends at Better Edge. So, we will dive into some of your comments here. Um, again, YouTube's the, the easiest way for us to see him. Um, Twitter, I don't think, works anymore on many levels. So, YouTube it is. Um, first here from foot underscore trap 10. This game has to be a confidence booster. Bongi looks amped. Yeah, I, I think it, it really has to be. Um, again, this is a team that, Minnesota United, I mean, isn't a team that scores four goals particularly often, right? Not that there are too many soccer teams that are scoring four goals week in, week out, uh, but the Loons, again, hadn't done this since July of last year against the Timbers, and that was a 4-4 draw. If you, I'm sure a lot of you remember that game. It was just a, a bonkers match, just bonkers. Uh, before that, I, I went back and, and scrolled through the results. The last time uh, before July of last year that Minnesota United had scored four goals was September 6th of 2020. Uh, right when right when MLS had kind of come back to doing those sort of semi-regional games with, uh, I don't even know if there were fans in Allianz Field at that point, I really don't, um, against RSL in, in 2020. So that's, you know, those are the last two times this team has scored four goals. There was the Everton friendly. I'm not counting that for this purpose here. But the confidence has to be there. And, and again, like I said, just before the ad break there, this is with Pookie on the, on the horizon, that he's going to be coming into a team here that if he's ready to go next weekend, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. You know, he's coming to a team that just managed to score four goals and do it in a way that that seemed really confidence-inducing, um, that these these weren't flute goals. Obviously, an Olympico is kind of a flute goal, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But, you know, the I, that goal just keeps replaying in my mind of, of Bongi crossing that to Ray. That That's just such a simple, simple goal. And if a team can can continue to score that sort of thing, that just bodes extremely well for an attack and... Uh, this is an attack that I don't think has, you know, w when was the last time that, that you could feel particularly confident in Minnesota United's attack? Um, obviously, Reynoso coming back helped with that, right? That's that's a confidence boost in and of itself. But it's just been a, a difficult year for that with striker struggles and then Amaria eventually departing for the second time. Robin Lud going down with, with a, a, a really unfortunate injury. This team just hasn't had confidence in attack for a long time. And now I think... There's so much upside here 
that this team can continue to score. And, and Bongi has, has been a huge part of that, I think. Uh, from an energy standpoint, he obviously brings that. But the way he's grown into his game this year has been so impressive that he's being more physical on the ball. He's holding defenders who are bigger and stronger than him off. He's retaining more possession, right? He's being more patient. Again, it's that it, it feels like he's settled into the pace of MLS play a little bit more. That he doesn't feel like when he gets the ball that he instantly needs to create something or that the opportunity is wasted, that he can take a second, hold play up. He can get his head up and look for a teammate, right? He doesn't have to create everything himself, which he does have a lot of ability and skill on the ball, but his evolution and, and the job uh, that this coaching staff has done to develop him, I think they, they really deserve an absolute, uh, an absolute lot of credit for that. So let's talk about that Olympico. Dano here with the comment. The first time he's ever seen an Olympico in person. I imagine that there were probably 19,000 other people who uh, who saw an Olympico in person for the first time as well. Uh, I certainly have never seen one in person. I think that was probably only the, the second or third I've seen in a game I was watching in any capacity uh, live. Just a, a, an incredible goal by Emmanuel Reynoso. Um, the, the broadcast initially scored it as an own goal, which I think... Um, just on on a vibes level, you got to give it to Reynoso there, no matter what. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to to see what the quotes coming out of the locker room tonight are. If if he did that intentionally, if that was just a lucky hit, um, he may say one thing, and the reality may be something else there. But it, it shows you just the the amount of skill that Reynoso has on his foot. His his set piece delivery can be a little inconsistent, but then you see him do something like that, which again isn't the game plan. You know, you're not. I doubt Adrian Heath was signaling something from the high from the sideline that said, "All right, guys, run the Olympico, run the Olympico." Like that's that's not what happened there. Um, but you know, just a, a fun a fun confidence booster for Ray, if nothing else, too. That now uh, he knows he has this in his arsenal that he can he can do, and a good way for him to settle back in with his first home start since his return this season. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Hassani Dotson. Uh, Dave Valinsky here saying that Dotson had one heck of a game. Um, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I really am, actually. Uh, those who've been been listening to to Soda Sock and and, uh, and post loons and even 10K pitches or or back in the Pluribus Lunum days know that I've I've tended to be harsh with Hassani Dotson. I've been a little bit lower on him, but I, I he had an excellent game tonight. I came in and got the start over Kervin Ariaga at you know what I would consider to be the number eight role um, alongside Bull Trap. They don't they're not a traditional pivot that does a, a defensive minded and a more central midfielder. They they tend to sort of do the same thing. Uh, which I, I it had some moments in the first half and, and Hassani Dotson had some moments too. Um, he picked up uh, one of the yellow cards, which again, don't worry, but the, the refereeing talk <laughs> is yet to come here. Uh, but Dotson, you know, picked up a yellow card that it was it was a, a questionable call, but one of those things that once you see a, a ref is calling some of those things, you know, you need to the, the simplest rule in soccer, and it goes for basketball, and I imagine probably lacrosse and then other sports too, and even you know football is is keep the opposing player in front of you. They're, they're going to be easier to dispossess, to take down all of those things when they're in front of you. Um, and and there were a couple moments in the first half where where Dotson was having to defend players from behind uh which just isn't optimal but he he did a he did a fine job of it he picked up the yellow but didn't push it beyond that uh, and really did well there his passing uh, actually was was what really stood out he had 92 percent pass completion which is just really incredible for a central midfielder to do in a professional top tier level soccer game a lot of times you'll see you know maybe a center back with a 92% because they were passing back and forth a lot. And, you know, 
if you can't complete those, then what are you doing as a professional soccer player? But Dotson really, really had an, an excellent passing game and was all over the place there. Uh, one one interesting thing that, that I, I noticed with both his and Trapp's midfield contributions was just that they were playing maybe a little bit farther back than what this team needed game plan wise. Um, and I say that, you know, they scored four goals, right? The Loons did fine. Uh, but neither Trapp nor Dotson completed a pass into the penalty area. And that that can mean absolutely nothing. And tonight it probably does mean absolutely nothing, right? This team scored four goals. They did fine. But there, there wasn't that link between the defensive midfield and the attack, right? Some of that, you know, the, and I don't think that's that has to be Emmanuel Reynoso's job here, that he's the number 10, you know. So who's going to be that connecting piece, right? That's one of the reasons why I, I really enjoy what Kervin Ariaga brings to Minnesota United. I think he's an excellent connector there in terms of some of his long-range distribution, his ability to distribute while he's dribbling forwards. Uh, you know, all of those elements of his game, I think, bode really, really well for being that connective tissue and filling that number eight role. I think Asani Dotson can do that too, just in some of the ways that he can contribute as a shooter and as kind of a long-range presence and force guys to close out and dribble. Um but yeah, so so to, to Dave's point here, Dotson definitely uh, stepped up and, and filled the role that he needed to tonight um, and had some difficult defensive assignments there with with some of those Timbers midfielders. Um, but really, he and, he and Trapp both just had an, an excellent passing game. And again, I, I go back to, to what I said near the open here, that passing matters, and tonight is a, a testament to that, that the Loons were a better passing team than the Portland Timbers. Did that by itself contribute to three extra goals? Probably not, but it sure as heck didn't hurt. Uh, and, and so that sort of playmaking is something I think uh, that is that is really, really, really important here. Uh, another question from Dave that I'm not going to be able to answer, but I'll throw it up here because maybe somebody else in the comments might. Does McDonald's still give out free fries for more than two goals? I don't know, but I hope for all of you who were there that they do. Uh, go get Go get those free fries. Uh, this is not a team that scores more than two goals all that often either. So uh, get the uh, get the fried potatoes while you can. Uh, back to Dan, I will comment here. And again, uh, keep keep dropping the comments in here too. I will keep cycling through them here uh, as we as we keep celebrating a four one win for Minnesota United over the Portland Timbers. And of course, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, do all of those very friendly things to our streams. We do uh, we do appreciate it when y'all help get the word out about what we're doing at Soda Soccer. Uh, yeah. The, the, this this match really uh, just on a dime there um, and, and turned from from 2-1 with, with Portland rolling with, I think, a lot of nerves in that stadium. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's it's 4-1 and this this game is over. The Daggers been scored. Um, I, I think the, the key to that was just some playmaking by Bongi, making things happen. Um, and that's what this attack has, has needed for so long was just a player who can step up and just take charge, who can who can ice a game and that's that's been Reynoso at times but he can't be the only guy because the game plan against him is going to be knock him around follow him around try to get him off the ball so who's gonna who's gonna be the secondary option there you know at, at times it's been Fragapani at times it's been Robin Lud tonight it was Bongi and you know in, in the future maybe it can be Timo Puki, right that that would probably be the the goal the plan given that he is coming in as a designated player but tonight it was Bongi and, and I think that's a, a really big piece of his evolution. Uh, he's had great games. He's scored game winners. Uh, but but tonight he he won this game for Minnesota United, or at least he certainly sealed it. He, he sure as heck iced it. 
and that that is a kind of developmental advance that I think um, really just just can't be understated what he brings in that regard. And, and again, like in the, in the previous comment I threw up here uh, that, that he was amped, that he was, he was a leader in that sense too. And, and I don't like to get too lost in some of the, the narratives around that, some of the, you know, those things, but I, I can't imagine for any of those, those teammates in the loons locker room that they just don't love playing with Bonky and playing with a guy who can bring that kind of energy, who can, you know, be creating for himself and looking for other people and, and be doing, you know, putting in the work rate at that stage of the game, because that's, what's controllable. When the other team has momentum, uh, the, the easiest thing to control is, is the player's work rate and, and positioning and all those things that Bonky did put himself in opportunities to get goals, you know, get an assist. And, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it's a, it's a four, one win just like that. Um, so, so really compelling performance by him, uh, a great developmental showing and, you know, and, and something that I think, um, the the coaches will be putting up in the film room for him to say, Bongi, this is what we need from you every night. If he can, you know, bring a performance of this caliber, if he can continue incorporating the elements that he showed tonight in his game, uh, you know, he he becomes a, a much more dangerous attacker for a lot of other MLS teams to reckon with here. All right. So from Otto here, was this not the most disappointing refing performance in MNUFC history? Six cards to MN versus one to Portland, constantly in the way and bumping into players was crazy to see in person. Yeah, the, the officiating um, definitely becomes a storyline from this game, which is always unfortunate because I, I don't think any of us like to bemoan officiating. And uh, and the fact that, that we're talking about officiating after a 4-1 win, I, I think is an indicator of just how impossible to ignore it was. Um, you know, as far as the, the differential in yellow cards, right? You know, I, I think uh, it, it's hard to, to look at that and be like, oh yeah, the ref had an agenda or bet the over or something insane like that. Um, and, and some of that you have to look at with Minnesota United and, and you sort of have to, as a player, take the temperature early on when you see uh, that, that first yellow against, I think it was Tapias who got the, the first yellow there and, and maybe the, the first, uh, I'm looking here now. Um, I think it was the first maybe 12 or 13 minutes. It might've even been earlier in the game. Uh, when he got that yellow card, I think you as a player have to sort of look at that and say, oh, that's what's getting a yellow card. And, and take that into into your mindset here um, as as you go right now now obviously that can't be at the forefront of your mind too much when you're defending a guy one-on-one you can't be thinking of man I wonder what the standard of a yellow card is going to be for this ref right you, you can't you can't have that thought going through your mind that doesn't work but it, it does have to be something of a consideration I think um, and so that factors in a little bit here but there were also just just some some yellow cards that were tough to argue real tough to argue and i think uh, one of those goes to adrian heath um so does soccer zone jacob schneider reported after the game that uh that tonight's official went up to adrian heath after the game and apologized for for giving him that yellow card um for dissent and i i can't say i've heard of that happening before an MLS. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. You know, all these players and officials, they go into the locker rooms, they go into the bowels of the stadium and, and things happen. Their conversations happen, right? Um, you know, there's a small pool of coaches and a small pool of refs. People know who each other are. But that, you know, a, a, a referee apologizing for issuing a yellow card and saying that it was the referee's fault just seems really remarkable to me. And uh, of course, the, it becomes 
that he's yellow card in particular becomes even higher stakes because now he has accumulated too many yellow cards and is suspended for next weekend's game against Austin, uh, as as is Michael Boxel, who also got a yellow card for dissent. You know, those yellow cards for dissent are the are the hardest ones to unpack because we just don't know what was said on the field, right? We can try to read lips, but, you know, I'm not very good at that. Um, if any of you all are, are pro lip readers and want to go find that clip and, and offer speculation as to what Michael Boxall said to earn that yellow card, by all means, please do. Um, but it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's 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 difficult to, to think about there. And, and with Boxall, too, again, it's sort of one of those things that, if you have a ref here who, again, coming into the game, uh, and they, they said it on the broadcast that that uh, tonight's official had given out the most yellow cards so far. So tonight was probably going to be a yellow card fest for, there are probably going to be seven yellow cards handed out. It was just sort of where they would, who they would fall to. Um, that, you know, maybe he just has a little bit thinner skin as an official. And that's something that uh, maybe should be part of the scouting report, right? If you're, if you're Boxall and you're someone who's a, a leader on this team, someone who's going to be the talker, kind of the enforcer, maybe that has to be a consideration. Um, and and maybe he just said you know the unfortunate combination of magic words to draw that, um, but he is he's also suspended for that for that home game against Austin now, um, and so uh, that's it, it's obviously difficult to stomach. And again, some some controversial yellow cards in there, um, and and hard to stomach. And, and also to to Otto's point here, some of the officials' positioning getting in the way there uh, screened off screened off Char at one point in the first half. Um, I, I want to say a Minnesota United counterattack bounced off of him at some point. I'm, I'm sure y'all who are who are at the game in person saw even more there, um, just because the broadcast only picks up so much and it doesn't follow the referee back and forth so much as the ball in the game. Uh, but but not the greatest mechanics there either. And so I, I do wonder if anything will come out from the league there specifically around that Heath yellow card of saying, "Hey, this this shouldn't have happened." Um, that that whole sequence where Heath drew that yellow card. Was sort of confusing to me why it uh, why it even really became a thing in the first place because it's it's in the second half here. Um, I think this this uh, this this might have been uh, this might have been been either just after it was around the Portland equalizer. Now um, that let's see, I think it was it was about five minutes after the uh, after the the Portland equalizer and, and only about a minute before uh, before uh, Bongi's breakaway that that made this game three one and kind of settled things that a Portland player was on the touchline and, and Reynoso comes to close him down and the Portland player goes down and knocks the ball out. And it's, it's a menace United throw and there's a player down, you know, it doesn't seem here to be like grievously injured. He just fell down in the course of play. And so Lewin's like to take a quick throw in down the field and, and the, the referee blows the whistle and, and calls the play back for that throw to pause for, you know, an injured player. The Portland player immediately pops up uh, because it, it was, you know, transparently uh, a time-wasting tactic, right? I, I think that Timbers player would uh, would admit to the same thing, that he stayed down just to get that. And, and even then, I, I it's just that's not something you see called back because it, it wasn't for a foul. It was I, it was it was such a weird sequence. And uh, in the course of this game, you know, when it's it's getting nervy, it's 2-1, right? Timbers have some momentum. Here's the United chance to go down and, and get some attacking momentum, get a look off the break. And it's paused for this. You know, of, of course, Adrian Heath is going to be irate. Of course, the players are going to be irate. Um, and so, again, we don't know what he was what he was saying, what he said to the official. Um, but, again, it, it, it seems like a strange yellow card to give out when it was probably questionable refereeing in the first place there. And, of course, he did apologize and say it was his own fault, which just, which just adds to all of that. Um, 
Otto with a follow-up here. To me, it wasn't just the yellows themselves. It was also just the ref's placement on the pitch. Altered a good amount of place, just being in the way for both sides. Absolutely. I, I noticed that in the first half. Um, I'm sure y'all who were in the stadium noticed that even a little bit more. The, uh, you know, that's and anytime any sort of narrative about the game is, is about the referee is just not good, whether when the referee is altering the game in, in such an, an obvious way that fans just don't like. Because, yeah, I think fans from both teams would have had some uh, and players from both teams would have had some gripes with that officiating, though. Um, obviously, the yellow card imbalance perhaps leaves one fan base a little more frustrated than the other. Um, just a, a lot to a lot to think about here. Uh, from Dan, should Pedelford be moved up to second left back ahead of DJ behind Lawrence? Um, th- this is this is an interesting consideration because Pedelford, he seems to just be getting more and more confident the more he gets these first team minutes, right? The more he's getting used to the Allianz atmosphere and, and the adrenaline and the crowd rush and the Wonder Wall and all of this stuff. Um, he's he's looked really, really solid here. I, I struggle a little bit with moving him ahead of DJ Taylor. Um, just because I, I tend to be a, a fan of what DJ Taylor brings to this team uh, as an attacking option for fullbacks. And, and it's because Adrian Heath's system has always been very fullback reliant. Um, you think, you know, to, to how much Roman Metinair did for this system, and, you know, I'd say that 2019, 2020, 2021, you know, when he was healthy in there, of how core he was to that attack and how often the attack uh, moved down the right side, right? Whether it was, you know, Ramon and, and Ethan Finley or, or Robin Lud or, or whoever it was on that right side, so much moved down there because the Loons haven't been a team that have traditionally emphasized that number eight role that I was talking about, you know, where I was saying that that Dotson and Trapp sometimes lack that connective tissue, right? Uh, again, Kervin Ariaga helps with that, and, and Jan Gregush sort of helped with that at times, but he wasn't exactly what the system needed. It's just it's very fullback reliant for getting the ball from the defense to the attack. Um, that's just that's just how this team tends to be and uh, what Adrian Heath asks of those folks. And he asks a lot in terms of weak side defense too that we've uh, we've unpacked previously of expecting the fullback who's on who's defensively on the side opposite where the opposing team has the ball. Uh, they have a lot of responsibility defensively in the system. So fullback is is not a position that Minnesota United can take lightly. And, and that's why I think really some of the, the loons grabbing a sort of a foothold in MLS and becoming a more consistent team there really, I hate to say coincided because it's not a coincidence, but was right around the time that the fullback position started taking a step forward and guys like Metinier came in here. Uh, so all that to say fullback is important. Uh, and I think DJ Taylor fits the mold of what Minnesota United needs in a fullback. He offers some, some distribution, uh, some, distribution capabilities that he's a he's a capable crosser uh, he's a he's a good guy to have on on set pieces as well that if the ball bounces to him he can make a play uh, as an attacker whether that's a shot from distance he has that range to his game he can also hit the passes he needs to there um, now that's also that's more so when DJ Taylor's playing on the right side excuse me when he's on the left it's a, it's a little bit different ball game so that's going to be kind of a non-answer for you, Dan. Um, that that on the left side, you know, Pedelford getting minutes that over DJ Taylor probably better. I think the solution maybe more to look for chances to get DJ Taylor involved on the right side uh, where Valentin's been playing. Um, and so we'll uh, we'll see we'll see how the development continues there for Pedelford. But but really encouraged so far. Um, he made some some excellent one-on-one defensive plays tonight that that were really necessary in the box and, and having that composure again it's all it's all part of the developmental process and and we've seen this team 
Minnesota United is, is not a team that's, uh, that's been the, the most successful uh, developmentally. And, but, but Bongi has been a, a step forward in that direction. Kervin Ariaga has been a step forward uh, in the right direction there. And I think, I think Pedelford absolutely can be as well, as long as he keeps leveraging these minutes and, uh, and playing with that composure. So uh, he, Eric Grady has a question here. How worried were you when it was 2-1 in the 67th minute? Keith looked like he had them packed in tight. I think a, a lot of folks were, were sweating here. And again, we saw that with the tension that just kind of overflowed there into, into Heath earning that yellow card. Uh, because this this felt like a game that just it was it was hard to feel too much confidence around it. I think throughout that first half, even before the goals were scored, Minnesota United had had been the better team. You know, they were they were forcing saves out of Ivicic. Uh, that they were getting some of the shots in there, but they were also being wasteful with some of these chances. And so then, then the the goals come there and, and going to halftime up two zero. That's awesome. That's fantastic. But it's two zero, right? And and all of a sudden, you know, one play there, and, and we haven't really talked about the the Portland goal yet. Um, but you know, not not the best goal to concede of just um, of bully getting between defenders there, and then one with the keeper. Irwin goes down a little early, and it sort of takes a sort of odd angle. I, I'm not one to critique goalkeeper play too much because they take you got to you got to take an angle at some point and, and take a guess, you know, at that range. Um, and and bully beats him near post, which is is suboptimal. Um, and just you know, at that point, Portland's getting momentum there, and and so it's hard to say that goal even came against the run of play. So yeah, I think it was a a, a nerve wracking situation there. But um, I, I think you know Heath actually d- deserves some some credit for the outburst around that yellow card, because I think, you know, you look at Bonky scored the goal a matter of seconds after that. And maybe, maybe that was some sort of spark plug. Right. And and again, I, I don't like to speculate too much on the leadership dynamics and the mental side of the game, because we just don't know what these players are thinking in that moment. But when you see your coach, you know, so irate at a call that was just a, a, a questionable at past, probably more accurately, just, bad weird call you see your coach is so irate that he's drawing a yellow card and and you as players feel like maybe you're being victimized because you've been getting these weird soft yellows all night and then your coach is mad and gets one too you know maybe that maybe that stirs something in you right and then you have a, a guy like bonkin come out and make that play um I, I think there was just you know we've talked about it several times now that just some sort of switch flipped so quickly there for minnesota united whatever that was there, there needs to be more of that there just does if it was something he said, you know, that, that he gave somebody the hairdryer from the sideline there, that it was something the players said to themselves, that it was just sort of an, an internal collective shift forward. Um, whatever whatever went on right there worked, it turned the tide. Um, and so so I think uh, I think Heath deserves some some credit for, for potentially being a source of inspiration in that moment. And also, you know, Adrian Heath's substitutions has been a, a, a narrative as, as old as time. Um, but but he was successful there uh, tonight with with making moves at the right time. And here Christopher says thought Garcia wasn't too bad even with getting taken off early. And I don't think he was he was particularly bad at all. Um, I, I think he has a, a challenging role to fill within this system. That you know uh, that uh, that he's Garcia's. Uh, you know he's he's a guy with pace who's going to play at the top of this formation. That he's a nine who's not really a nine, you know, those of you who have, uh, who've played football manager, the, the video game, in different capacities, you know, he, he plays that like advanced forward role, you know, of, of a striker position. He really plays that to a T 
that he's going to look to push that back line, right? That the loons are going to look to get the ball in behind him, whether that's a low through ball or wrapping around the cross, that they want something from Mena Garcia to run on to. And that's a, that's a difficult role to play because that's really boom or bust, right? And it's very dependent on the distributors. You know, he can time his run perfectly, be lined up right between the center backs, you know, just onside. And if the pass is just weighted, you know, a foot too far, it's going to go into the keeper's arms, right? It's going to roll out of bounds or something like that. So uh, that, that's no knock on Mender Garcia. I think he he plays his role very, very well. It's just not a role that's the most conducive to what this team uh, is successful doing. Again, they were they were more successful when Mender Garcia came off and there was a little bit more of an emphasis of passing around that attack instead of trying to find something for somebody to run on to, I think. Um, and and so, uh, oh, and I see Christopher drafting in the comment and he will throw that up. Um, and, and, and so I, I think it is this, that Garcia performed as he was expected to tonight. He put pressure on the back line, uh, the old goal, that was the first goal, um, that, you know, at first, I think at least on the broadcast, it looks like Garcia might've gotten a foot on there. It was actually just Chara who knocked it in, but that, that comes from Garcia meeting expectations from pushing that back line, from putting pressure on Chara to get to that ball, to make a play, right? Chara doesn't sell out like that for that ball. If he's not convinced that. Mender Garcia getting the ball is an automatic goal because Chara made a really risky play as evidenced by the fact that he put it in his own net. That's that's the influence that Mender Garcia can have there and, and sort of what a striker along his lines can do. And so I actually, I think it's a really encouraging sign for Mender Garcia come, going forward of what his role is going to be in this team because you would you would assume that Team Wapuki is uh, is going to to replace him in that starting 11 as, as the starting striker. And then Mender Garcia is, you know, and impacts of off the bench, which I think is actually a, a fantastic role for him. Give him 20 minutes against some tired legs in a game, and I think he can shape that game and, and really change it and, and force defenders to reckon with new things at a stage when they'd probably rather just be focusing on, you know, if there's going to be a post-game meal or something like that. Mendy Garcia can really bring a lot in that regard. Um, and, and again, you know, the, the expectation for him is, I, I think it would be unfair to expect Mendy Garcia to be, bagging two goals a night for you, right? That's that's not what he's there to do. He's there to put pressure. He's there to create space underneath uh, to and, and kind of behind him, which is something that tonight I was really impressed with uh, with Sung Min John and, and some of his positioning underneath Mender and even later in the game, just finding pockets. Um, it's something this team has always had for a long time. Uh, the capability for someone to find these pockets of space or the possibility of someone finding these pockets of space that aren't quite level with the center backs, that aren't on that front line, that are just just pulled back a little bit. Um, there was, you know, the kind of classic example is if the ball is being crossed in from the end line of being a player that that parks himself at the penalty spot, right from there, and and that's something that Songbin has has shown that he's really good at. He has a lot of speed that he can actually catch up on counterattacks, or maybe he's caught back a little bit, and he can actually move into move into that space there, and that's a, a really really strong playmaking spot to just be able to pull strings from there to be an option for players who are on that front line to cut back to there and preserve it. Um, it can be a sort of a facilitating role instead of having to to try to time across all the way to the switch fields to go to the other side, work through that central playmaker. And I think Bender Garcia working in this system allows a player like Sangbin to to cook in that regard a little bit more easily. Um, that, you know, Sangbin's role is going to be influenced by the arrival of Puki. We don't know to what extent or in what ways yet, but it, it seems like, Sangbin likes to have a striker along the lines of Mender Garcia, who, you know, uh, to like like Christopher said, is is going to meet expectations in that regard and 
isn't necessarily there to get on ball touches. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I said earlier in the show, I don't think uh, Mender Garcia's on ball work was the, the strongest tonight. He had a couple possessions that uh, offensive possessions that uh, that vanished because of some decision making by him. And and some of that's just, you know, being a heads up playmaker versus a heads down creator um, and, and some of that. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's always difficult to critique there. But but I do think uh, Christopher's original point is is absolutely right on that that Mender Garcia had a decent game. He met expectations. He did what he needed to do. And, and that, that netted a goal indirectly via that own goal. All right. And so uh, we are, we've got a couple more comments to, uh, to get to here. So feel free to throw your last comments or questions in here uh, in the stream comments, and we'll get to them before we call it a night here. All right. We have from Eric again, should Heath have taken Ray off with like 10 minutes to go? He got fouled so many times late with the game completely in hand. Uh, of course, you know, we, we can always talk about even his substitutions. Uh, there, there's certainly an argument for this, especially with Ray getting back up to speed uh, or getting back up to, to match fitness and kind of getting settled in here. And he's a player who's going to get roughed up, right? You know, that's that's the game plan against him. Uh, tonight, um, I was looking at the stats earlier. I think he uh, he was fouled four times by Portland tonight, which is actually a little bit lower uh, than normal. No, that's times that he was you know, knocked over and a foul was called, right? He probably took double or triple that in terms of actual kind of quote-unquote hits or knocks. Um, and, and so taking him off is, is probably never a bad thing in that regard, uh, just preserving him a little bit there, especially, you know, it was it was 4-1 with 15-inch minutes to play, and at that point the game seemed really sealed. Um, so I, I don't think it would have been a bad thing at all to keep him off. But at the same time, I think there there is an argument for keeping Ray on, right? It's only ten minutes. You know how much how much rest is that really going to provide? How much extra recovery? I don't know. And and maybe keep him on as sort of a a show of of confidence, kind of a, a you know show of force that because Portland is a team that the the Loons are very much on par with. They're a team that's that's come in that has some quality that hasn't really gotten the wins at this stage in the season. That's going to probably be competing for one of those lower end. Western Conference playoff spots to hopefully go and make a run and get a couple, get a couple, you know, favorable matchups in there. And so maybe keeping your best player on for for a little bit of extra time uh, against a team like that, maybe that sends a message, right? I don't know. Uh, I also don't think it, it hurts as far as regaining chemistry uh, because Ray's playing with another attacker who he he arrived since uh, the last time he was with the team in Songbin. You know, Ray obviously had an extended absence, and so uh, he's still he's still very early on in his season. Uh, and his legs are probably, you know, even as he's getting up to fitness, a little bit fresher. So I think there, there's an argument for keeping him on. I think so. There's also a very strong argument for keeping him off. Um, and it's it's one of those things that if, you know, if something had happened to Ray, obviously, you know, we would be in a very different situation. Or if he'd really gotten knocked around, we'd be we'd be saying something completely different here. Um, but I, I don't think it's it's the worst thing in the world that uh, that he stayed on by any means. Yeah. And we uh, we appreciate all the questions coming in, even uh, even those from uh, from Jacob Schneider. I appreciate any any reference to uh, Diego Pacheco. He's a, a fantastic young player uh, for the the next pro team who got some minutes in the uh, in the Kaiser Schlautern friendly on Wednesday, uh, which was really fun to see him get called up onto that stage. Um, I'm I'm a believer in, in Diego Pacheco that his time's going to come. He's a, a a fun attacking, very versatile playmaker. For MNUFC two, if you get to watch them, he's the the player who runs around with a mustache. Um, really, just just great guy too. From the uh, the moments I've seen of him, and a, a very brief conversation I had with him, just a uh, 
a player who's easy to cheer for uh, in the second team there. And, and hopefully his his chance will come uh, with the first team pretty soon here. Emmanuel Iwe getting the, uh, the the first team contract locked down this week, going from a, just a, an open tryout to the, the second team to getting that first team contract. Um, seeing a Minnesota product like that is just, uh, just fantastic to see. And so with that, um, if no one else has any other questions or comments, I think we will call it a night here. Uh, we'll look briefly ahead at next weekend, Austin FC coming to town. Never an easy fixture there by any means. And of course, the, the question mark going into this week will be suspensions. Uh, as of as of right now, uh, as of as of tonight, uh, Adrian Heath expected to to be suspended again. I, I I say expected to be there just because the, the official apologizing me is just, it's so weird. I've, I've never heard of that happening before. Um, I've never heard of that happening. And and so part of me wonders if there will be a way that balloons can appeal that or that the league will intervene or something, or, or maybe the official will send an email to Don Garber and, and, you know, request his one backsies of the year and, and get to pull the yellow card back. Uh, so I, I don't want to say that officially there's a chance Heath will be there next weekend, but um, a, a part of me wonders if there's a chance that he'll be there. Uh, Michael Boxall is is more concretely going to be suspended, uh, which probably means Debassi was back. You know, he's been back in the squad, was on the bench and on you substitute today. So I, I would expect uh, Debassi Tapias pairing at center back there, uh, which is of course a very capable pairing. Um, and uh, another home match here. Um, if the Loons hope to uh, to match their home record from last year, Jacob Schneider, our own Jacob Schneider, informing tonight that they pretty much have to win just about every home game from here on out to uh, to keep Allianz Field a certified fortress like it has been in years past. Uh, but a lot of home games still to go for this team here. Um, a couple last-minute comments we'll get to here. And, of course, oh, League's Cup. I have them in my notes here. Three more MLS matches and then League's Cup arrives, which uh, Minnesota United will be making its debut campaign in. Uh, from Christopher, maybe a hot take, but I think Padelford will be a starter for us by the end of next season. I don't think that's a that's off the table at all. Again, if we if if we hypothetically say he follows a similar developmental curve to uh, to Bongi, going from you know sort of a, a fringy prospect, right, comes in, gets some minutes late in the game, and then gets more of a foothold. Um, you know, if if he develops at the same pace as Bongi, I think absolutely he's a starter by the end of next season, maybe even sooner. Um, just given how much opportunity there is for fullbacks in the squad to really contribute to the game and really shape what Minnesota United looks to do. And then we'll close out here uh, with some kind words from Andy here. Uh, he learns a lot by listening to Post Loons. Um, we always appreciate hearing that. Uh, all of us like to like to get on here and talk, and we we like to think that we know things too sometimes, even though we really don't. Um, but we're we're always uh, we're always happy to 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 chat loon stuff. Feel free to uh, to always tweet us if you're still on Twitter. Um, otherwise, uh, tune in wherever you get your soda soccer, post loons, ten thousand pitches, and all your other uh, fun Minnesota United content. We're always uh, we're always appreciative of you all tuning in. So we'll call it a night there. Thanks everyone for uh, for giving us about forty five minutes after the game here. Um, a different post loons crew. We'll see you next weekend after the Austin game, and and we'll probably see you on the lovely place we call the internet. In the meantime, so thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a good rest of your night.